The word of the week is vaccine. It's rolled out, but it's probably giving many EMS leaders a headache already. I'm Rob Lawrence, and this is EMS One Stop. In this week's narration, I will focus on vaccines as both giver and receiver. A lot to unpack this week, and so to help me along is uh, Scott Moore of Moore EMS Consulting, who provides consulting for HR operations and leadership. Scott is also the HR consultant at the American Ambulance Association. Scott is a Massachusetts licensed attorney and possesses certifications in both PHR, uh, Professional in Human Resources, and the Society for Human Resource Management. We've been partners in crime for many years on AAA committee work. Uh, and I'll remind you, Scott, that the first time we met was when you brought your team to Virginia to visit us at the RAA system. Scott, welcome. How are you today? Thank you very much. And I remember it well, actually, you left quite a quite an impression on the system you you guys built down there. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Very proud of that. And of course, like always, we loved to pay it forward. And I know they still do today. Before we get on into the discussion, Scott, of course, the reason we're here is to preview and discuss around the narration. So before we get into our discussion, let's have a listen to my full read of this week's article. The COVID-19 vaccine has presented EMS leaders with a few challenges. We can see the vaccines coming over the horizon with their reports of unprecedented efficacy levels and even the return of Dr Fauci to the White House podium extolling the virtues and safety of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. But at this time, a general level of scepticism continues to pervade as information produced and touted is effectively the press release of each company. All are awaiting the safety data sheets to be publicly presented as part of the EUA, the Emergency Use Authorization, to appraise the vaccine and anticipate the risks. That said, Britain's regulator has approved the Pfizer BioNTech product, and this may provide the true answers we seek as it heads for immediate rollout. The predicament is the same one we face when a new mark of ambulance or monitor comes out. No one wants to be the first, and we all want others to experience the initial teething problems. Perhaps the UK may do that for us now. Currently, polls and surveys indicate there are large elements of the population, including our workforce, that do not wish to take up the vaccine. This presents a problem as the Advisory Committee on Immunisation Practices, ACIP, met last week to confirm that healthcare workers, including EMS, are placed in immunisation category 1A, the first of the first. Healthcare workers included in Phase 1A encompasses 21 million workers from hospitals, long-term care facilities, outpatient clinics, home health, pharmacies, public health and EMS. Word on the street has it that some states are not following federal direction and are moving EMS down their lists, and this is a shame. While many healthcare providers deal with COVID-19 positive patients daily, EMS crews are face to mask with a patient in a 15 by 8 box, and you can argue the size of your ambulance later, for the majority of their shift. Social distancing is all but impossible, and for those trying to convey an image to help climb the priority ladder, this may be it. 
Another ASIP conundrum has come as firefighters and police officers are placed in Category 1B, and as we know, many fire departments operate in a dual capacity, whether it's in the first response or transport realm. So I'm sure the question of when is a firefighter not a firefighter being posed in many locales right now. The difference between 1A and 1B may only be a few weeks, so hopefully this will not be a major issue. Now, of course, since I wrote that, perhaps uh, it may be more than just a few weeks. Building public and public safety confidence in the vaccination will grow over time, but leaders must face the command decision now of how they're going to ensure immunisation occurs as soon as it's rolled out. For those who are fully prepared to be inoculated, there will be no problem. For the others, OSHA helps by supporting the creation of the requirement, if necessary, to be COVID-19 vaccinated as a condition of employment. This brings tension as Labour groups are already defending their members' rights to choose not to be vaccinated. My hope is that science, a sense of planetary preservation and now the early actions of the British Isles will inform and placate. The vaccine distribution and administration plans contained with Operation Warp Speed and its associated state plans may include EMS as one giver of vaccine. There are several planning and logistic issues to overcome here. The current presidential handover-takeover period is creating the issue of span of control. Warp speed sees states taking the lead, whereas the incoming administration is leaning towards a federal lead. Time, and the 20th of January 2021 to be exact, will tell. Logistic levels of distribution and cold storage, as well as the electronic documentation and onward transmission of patient data, may also need to be understood. All agencies and organisations should inquire with their local public health departments or indeed state offices of EMS as to what their part in the plan actually is. Some know, some don't. We've had a lot of information to process this week and there may have been lots of answers. Unfortunately, some may not have been to the questions we asked. Nevertheless, there seems to be a feeling of upward and onward. In the words of the World Health Organization's Dr Michael Ryan at a press brief this week, he said, we arrived at Everest Base Camp. All we have to do now is climb the mountain. So that was my view. And of course, I'd love to hear your comments in the comment section on the main page of the EMS1 article that the article featured on. Scott, the word of the week is vaccine. As I said earlier, there's a lot to unpack here. Is it a complete and utter mess? Yeah, I know it's a great question. And I think, you know, had this pandemic occurred during a different time in our political history where we weren't in a you know election year, I think this probably would have been a, a lot easier. But because of the election and how political this entire pandemic and the vaccination process has become, I think uh, it's unnecessarily messy. And, and you know, as we as healthcare providers really need to cut through some of that nonsense and get down to the science. And, and really look at this from a medical and science literature perspective. I, I want to break our discussion down into two parts, essentially, to kick off with. One, of course, is the giver of vaccine, and the other one, of course, is the receiver of vaccine. I think we've had a bit of an advantage in that the UK have bitten the bullet. They've gone first. We're watching the uh, Pfizer drug rolling out from the factory in Belgium, crossing the English Channel, and is getting ready to be distributed in the next week or so. So at least we'll have a chance to see not only logis logistically how it works, 
but also how the people are receiving it and what happens next. So I think that's probably a good thing because in my article, I talked about like the monitor or the ambulance. Nobody wants to buy the first one. We want to see if it breaks down or if it doesn't work. So perhaps thank you, England, uh, my, my old country, for leading the way. But we've got some challenges, though, because there have been surveys out there. EMS1 actually did one, and, and there have been other surveys that a lot of people, including our own EMS providers, are reluctant to take what's on offer when it comes. What do you say to EMS leaders? How are we going to deal with this? Yeah, it's a tough one. You know, about a month and a half ago, I published an article uh, through the AAA as well as I know PWW did as well, and about this idea about whether you can mandate um, the vaccination for your employees. Right. And I and I think, you know, as an HR person, we always look towards the carrot rather than the stick. However, yep. how or why would you incentivize someone to do something that's actually going to help them and the patients they serve as well as their families? So. I do think um, from the perspective of an EMS leader, you really need to prepare today for what's coming. That's why I put that article out well over a month ago, because you know this is not something that you're gonna be able to drop to side on a Monday morning. Um, you know there, there will need to be a strategy to it. And of course, OSHA allows us to, um, I hate to use the word impose, because of course, as you said, this is carrot, not stick, but OSHA does support us in creating the conditions to say you know you either have this or the accommodation is you're wearing a mask forever on my clock yeah and so you know the it's interesting I, i've sort of been watching not only the cdc but also osha as well just to see where they're going to come down or if they're going to issue guidance relative to this and really the last time that you know we saw anything even remotely close to guidance on this was during h1n1 when they said, look, you know, you can in fact mandate it. Not all employers can mandate it per se, but that in particular healthcare um, or, or organizations or employees who provide healthcare or who have access to vulnerable populations, certainly you can in fact mandate it. You know, that being said, I think it's easier, you know, if you go back to the hearts and minds sort of conversation that you know, reminding folks that while there are a lot of things that impact their decision making, that if they really can, if we can educate people about the, the, the true risks, which are very, very minimal. And in fact, they've been getting vaccinations of all kinds for, for many, many years. I think if, you, if, we, can, if we can approach it, as, as we talked about and, and talk about from a, from a legal perspective, nearly all, you know, all healthcare employers have the right to mandate this. And the only issue will be when it comes to somebody who has a, an ADA protected medical condition, where there is in fact a real risk to that employee um, in the event that they, you know, were to take this particular vaccination and it caused them harm based upon their current medical condition, or if in fact they had a religious objection. But what I will tell you is, in both of those instances, and, and, and one is under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act and the other is under the Americans with Disabilities Act, both of those instances, employers have an obligation to engage the employee into or in the interactive process, which is this back and forth dialogue between the person asserting either this religious or um, ADA uh, request for an accommodation and, and engage them into is there or are there potentially accommodations that we could provide that would not create an undue hardship for the employer? And, and an undue hardship, really, the, the burden for 
um, both the ADA, for the ADA. It's a little bit different for the religious exemption, but in either event, right, essentially, when adopting a mandatory vaccination program, you really need to look to, is it job-related, consistent with business necessity, and if, in fact, it's being applied, making sure that it's being applied in a non-discriminatory manner. So that being said, have a process, document that process in some states, the documentation part is required. It's just good practice. And frankly, more than likely, you have individuals within your workforce who, who, if you're doing it correctly, you already are aware of whether they have an existing accommodation. and You may want to engage some of those folks earlier. But at the end of the day, if even with the accommodation, there is still this risk or danger or direct threat to the health and safety of either of the other employees in the workplace or the general public, or in fact, the patients that you're serving, well, then you may not have to actually do anything beyond that, right? In other words, you may still be able to mandate that, that vaccination. Thank you for that answer, Scott. And of course, this is exactly why I have the PHR uh, Sherm Esquired lawyer on to give me the answer. So well said. Thank you very much. Uh, of course, what we're seeing is that all the presidents and a future president, bar possibly one, are saying if it's good enough for Dr. Fauci, it's good enough for us. And what we saw yesterday was ex-presidents Obama, Bush and Clinton saying, I'm going to be first in the line to roll my sleeve up. So hopefully, you know, we've got some leadership and we'll get some leadership from the top as we go forward, which hopefully will give us confidence to say, come on, you know, it's not that bad. The evidence is there, the science is there, and our leaders are first in line. Switching sides to the administrator of vaccine, we know it's coming. We know that we're awaiting the EUA, the Emergency Use Authorization. We don't know yet, and not every EMS agency knows, if they're going to be involved and be asked to deliver and I said in the article that a lot of, you know, if you are an EMS chief or an EMS regional chief or indeed a state EMS official, you should be working out right now if you're going to be asked to do something. And I don't think I've heard that everybody has. What have you heard? Yeah, so I reached out to one of the individuals at our state EMS office and just said, please tell me, um, and that was this week, please tell me that you guys are talking about, you know, how we're going to permit EM EMTs or well, at least paramedics, but if not EMTs, to administer the vaccination. And, and what he said is, I'm sure those, those discussions are happening, but we haven't had them yet. Now, I know several years ago, the, our, our state EMS office permitted EMS individuals to administer the influenza vaccination. And so, you know, administering vaccinations to me is not, this is not an, un, you know, an unbelievably difficult task right. and certainly well within the scope of a paramedics training. And I would even argue if you can you know, administer an EpiPen, you can probably give a vaccination. But the fact, you know, that, you know, this is sort of that old saying that if the gates are down, the lights are flashing, you can't blame the wreck on the train. I hope that these discussions are occurring. And I, and I sort of, I ask those regulatory agencies to please engage the EMS organizations in their state, because we are logistics experts, right? We are logistically delivering high level care to the patient's bedside or in their home very quickly. This is something that we do. We do well. Many of us are doing COVID testing sites right now and have done it very well. So I think given that the federal government is talking that EMS is going to be an essential part of this vaccine delivery, I, I would hope, and, and as I said, I'm a little bit discouraged that we haven't seen something so far, but I don't know, Rob, if in California they're talking about it, but you know, this is where we need to be moving more quickly, I think. 
I think so. And hopefully warp speed won't turn into dead slow because of the logistics of all of this. You know, we've got the we've got the drug. We know what it's we, we think we know what it's going to do, obviously, from the from the uh, the PR that's coming out of the, the drug companies. We haven't seen the safety data sheets yet, but we have a good idea. What we don't have a good idea on is the logistic rollouts. Um, there is discussions about the dry ice that you need to transport some of this stuff. Of course, those with a science bent will know that dry ice turns into carbon dioxide. So you can't, you know, stick it in the back of your car. So there are some problems we have to overcome and things we have to understand in order to be, in order to roll out the logistics of this. Uh, so there's a fair bit to do. And again, EMS chiefs, leaders, anybody, we need to, somebody needs to brief us and tell us what to do because so far in the year, in the COVID pandemic, we have been the jack of all trades. I'm not sure if that's an American saying, but I'll use it anyway, the jack of all trades, that we've done tracking, tracing, ED augmentation, nursing home augmentation, evacuations, transfers from cruise ships. It's been within our, it's in in our um, ethos to get on and do this stuff and just get on and do it. And we've been doing it, but we need some, we need a briefing, we need a heads up and people need to help us understand what's going on. With One Stop Extra, of course, we're not just sticking to the topic of today's article, but also we can talk about the, the, the news of the week. And EMS and ambulance services have been on the national agenda in the national news this week, Scott. And we've been talking about our parlous state lack of funding and the fact that we are literally on the brink. Um, our good friend, Gary Ludwig, always talks about the fact that uh, EMS is at the tip of the spear. I think we're on the knife edge. What do you reckon? No, I, I agree. And, you know, I think it's interesting uh, that, you know, watching this one, this has been a year where we've seen EMS on the front cover of Time magazine and right. gotten and really have had more press relative to what we were doing. And to your point earlier, that we were sort of the folks that when they're not quite sure who to ask, they ask EMS and, and somehow we get it done. And I think a, a portion of that is because, you know, when you're on a scene of a multi-patient accident, right, you have to be quick, think on your feet and improvise. So, you know, looking at the funding and having talked, you know, one of the things that I work with with the AAA is about cost collection. And I've spent a lot of time assisting and guiding members on how to apply for provider relief fund in the different tranches and then also preparing for what will be those post-payment reporting requirements. And I hear a lot of organizations that are struggling. And it's not only that they're struggling, you know, to, to get the appropriate PPE and so forth, but, you know, um, they're struggling financially. The, you know, the volume of work has not recovered. We're now seeing another wave, which is, is putting people back into their homes and slowing down their volume. And, and I think, you know, this comes back to why we need good data and why we as a profession, both the municipal side and the private side, for-profit, not-for-profit, need to be working together to get good, solid information and data. Because while I would, I would have preferred when we went to the legislature to ask them for relief, that we had had some information upon which to say, see, this is what we need. And this is how we've been impact, impacted. And here's how you can help. Because frankly, I think they're looking for us to tell them exactly what we need. And I know the AAA has made a very direct ask, um, but of course, lacking a lot of the data that we need to do that. So, um, you know, it, I, I am hopeful and I hear that there's discussions of additional provider relief as we head into 2021. I know many of the programs, including the Family First Coronavirus Leave, um, that is ending at the end of this year. And, and so... Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that now that we're through the election, we can see some, some progress made on these. And I hope that, uh, you know, post January the 20th, that we, with renewed vigor, get back onto the Hill, continue the lobbying with the new administration, and we can make some of these changes. And uh, I was watching the Biden-Harris debate, I think it was last night on CNN, in fact, uh, you know, where they acknowledge that, you know, people are running out of money, but if we don't have any money, then we can't run. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's problematic, I think, without a doubt. Scott, thank you very much for your time today. Um, how can we get hold of you? How can we see you? Where can we find you? Uh, give us all the contact details. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking me to join. Certainly, of course, my website, you know, www.moremsconsulting.com. Unfortunately, I'm a shorter one, but, uh, you know, or um, you can reach me certainly through that website or through the AAA, uh, or of course, you can always call my good friend, Rob. He knows exactly how to get in touch with me. So um, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the opportunity and certainly always willing to, to do anything that involves sharing a mic with you. So thank you. Cheers, mate. You said that just the way I wrote it for you. Well done. So uh, that was that was pretty good. Um, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL or indeed track me down on LinkedIn. Uh, I'd like to uh, thank my guest, Scott Moore. If you're listening to this on the SoundCloud, just hang on for one more second, because coming along right after me, as always, is Chris and Kelly with another exciting edition of Inside EMS. This has been EMS One Stop. I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now. Oh,